This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. The 18-year-old gunman in Uvalde, Texas, shared on Facebook his plans to attack a school shortly before the massacre on Tuesday. Meta, Facebook's parent company, said the posts were private one-to-one messages. Salvador Ramos shot his grandmother, who survived and called the police, at home before gunning down 19 children and two adults at the elementary school. All those killed and injured in the attack were in the same classroom. The governor of the eastern Ukrainian region of Luhansk warned that the Russian army is trying to completely destroy the city of Severodonetsk. Conditions in the city are deteriorating. A statement on Tuesday by Russia's defense minister, Sergei Shoigu, claiming that the invaders deliberately slowed down their offensive to allow civilians to avoid the conflict, was dismissed as a lie by Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky. Federal Reserve officials mold raising interest rates high enough to slow economic growth in order to curb inflation, according to minutes from the central bank's meeting in May. Instead, most monetary policymakers thought it appropriate to raise rates by 0.5 percentage points at the Fed's next two meetings. Yet the minutes suggested that a restrictive stance of policy may well become appropriate in future. A final report into the parties held at Downing Street and other locations during COVID-19 lockdowns in Britain placed the blame on senior leadership. Speaking in Parliament soon after the release, Prime Minister Boris Johnson said he was humbled and had learned a lesson, but defended his attendance at staff farewells. He said he was appalled by the treatment of security and cleaning staff. The full 37-page report by Sue Gray, a senior civil servant, upheld the conclusions of her damning interim report from January 31st and said, Many will be dismayed that behavior of this kind took place on this scale at the heart of government. Violent clashes broke out across Pakistan after Imran Khan, the country's former prime minister who was ousted in April, began a banned march on the capital, Islamabad, calling for government change. Police cordoned off the city with dozens of shipping containers. In Punjab, the most populous province, tear gas and batons were used on protesters who forced barricades on the highway to Islamabad. Pfizer will offer its patented medicines, including its COVID-19 vaccine, to 45 poor countries at costs. The initiative will be first launched in Ghana, Malawi, Rwanda, Senegal, and Uganda. The company had faced criticism as other manufacturers, including Britain's AstraZeneca and America's Johnson & Johnson, temporarily sold their vaccines on a non-profit basis in mid-2021. Russia was pushed closer to a historic debt default after America's Treasury cut off a route to pay back foreign bondholders. The waiver had allowed Russia to tap into accumulated foreign currency resources. It has almost $2 billion of remaining payments this year. Russia has not defaulted on foreign debt since 1917 and is likely to contest any such declaration. And fact of the day. 900. 
the number of shootings on school grounds in America since the massacre at Sandy Hook a decade ago. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Alibaba's faltering fortunes. In the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, lockdowns and other restrictions keeping people at home boosted demand for online shopping and delivery services in China. For companies such as Alibaba, an e-commerce giant, and Meituan, a delivery super app, business was brisk for much of 2020. But two years on, and with China still maintaining a zero-COVID strategy, the restrictions have started to hurt consumers' disposable incomes, and hence demand. The outlook for Alibaba has darkened considerably, too. When the company reports quarterly earnings on Thursday, analysts expect it to suffer a drop in profits of at least 50% from the previous quarter. This is partly due to weaker demand for its services, but it is also because Alibaba has been one of the main targets of a government crackdown on big tech groups. Lockdowns are slowly lifting, and some analysts believe the tech lash might ease too. If that's true... Alibaba could make a slow recovery. Mariupol's defenders redefined in Russia. For 12 improbable weeks, Ukraine's Azov regiment held out against Russian troops in the city of Mariupol. On Thursday, Russia's Supreme Court is expected to declare it a terrorist organization. The controversial military formation, which has some historical links to the far right, has already been designated an extremist organization by Russia. The additional ruling appears to be in preparation for a show trial of soldiers who surrendered to Russian forces earlier this month. Kremlin propagandists have frequently used the example of Azov to justify its brutal war which it describes as a military operation to denazify Ukraine. Little is known about the internationally brokered deals that preceded Ukraine's decision to surrender in Mariupol. Government officials refused to comment, saying any statement could endanger the safety of its servicemen. There does appear to have been some commitment to an eventual prisoner exchange, but not necessarily before a demonstrative trial. Not yet the end of Davos Man. The annual meeting of the World Economic Forum, which wraps up on Thursday, is a study in contrasts, especially between the well heeled insiders cloistered in Davos and the billions of outsiders on whose fate they pontificate. This time, the big disparity was between gloom about the world and the joys of shoulder rubbing in person, minus the snow after a two-and-a-half-year pandemic hiatus. War in Ukraine, pestilence, the lingering effects of COVID-19, especially in China, and famine, which looms in the form of sky-high food prices, topped a cheerless agenda. COVID policy kept most Chinese away. Vladimir Putin's war meant Russians were banned. Attendance was down by perhaps half on previous years, and companies reined in the parties and pizzazz. If all this made Davos less useful than usual, it was not quite useless. Attendees reported enjoying the frank backroom chats more than ever, 
Collectively, they can add up to something meaningful. Don't write off Davos Man yet. South Sudan's Arms Embargo The world's youngest country has age-old problems. Established in 2011, South Sudan has spent much of its first 11 years embroiled in ethnic-based conflict over power and access to oil revenues. On one side are forces loyal to the president, Salva Kiir. On the other, those aligned with the vice president, Breik Mashar. A peace deal signed in 2018 ended five years of civil war, but elements of it are ignored or used as grounds for more patronage and graft. Lack of progress on the peace deal, outlined recently in a damning report written by UN-appointed observers, means the UN on Thursday is likely to vote to extend an arms embargo and asset freezes. For ordinary South Sudanese, life is grim. NGOs have documented widespread human rights abuses. In March, the World Food Program warned of the country's worst hunger crisis ever. The fruits of independence seem increasingly bitter. Translating a Booker Prize into Success Previous winners of the International Booker Prize for books translated into English have been well rewarded for their years of solitary toil. Han Kang, an author from South Korea who won in 2016, recently signed a two-book deal with Hamish Hamilton, a British publishing house. A Horse Walks Into a Bar, David Grossman's winning title from 2017, has been adapted into a play. And Olga Tokarskuk's International Booker Gong in 2018 for Flights presaged a Nobel Prize in Literature. The Polish author, along with her translator Jennifer Croft, is the favorite again going into this year's ceremony, which takes place on Thursday. The prize money of £50,000 or $62,500 is shared equally between author and translator. Miss Tokarczyk's latest novel, Books of Jacob, is a wild, unruly beast. At more than 900 pages, the story spans seven borders, five languages, and three religions. But perhaps Heaven, by Meiko Kawakami, a hit Japanese novelist translated by Sam Bett and David Boyd, will stage a divine intervention. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you with a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Thursday. Which hedge fund manager founded the Robin Hood Foundation with the aim of reducing poverty? Wednesday. What is the capital of the German state of Lower Saxony? Finally, here's the quote of the day, from Miles Davis, who was born on this day in 1926. Don't play what's there. Play what's not there. That's the world in brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. 
You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.